What do you think is the biggest job advert that you have ever seen? I remember very clearly when MI6 first started advertising. It was quite exciting. It had been secret. The government used to deny they even existed. And suddenly they're asking for your CV in the local paper. Quite a surprise. Do I want to be, you know, bus driver or James Bond? Which will it be today? Well, look down at verse 47, which is on page 1108. It's the key verse in that long chapter that Bula read for us. And it is certainly a, a surprise job announcement. But actually, by the end of our time this evening, I want us to see it's also a job advert addressed to you and to me and to all souls. So let me read to you from verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 47, it's the key verse in the chapter. It's the the real turning point in the whole book of Acts. The um, big moment of drama, certainly in this chapter. But it's also completely shocking when you realize what it is saying. So Paul and Barnabas, they they always speak first to Jewish people consistently everywhere they go. But this is the moment on their first missionary journey. This is the, the first time that they say no, the Jewish people, to them in one place and prevent them from speaking about Jesus. And they say, well, since you reject it, we now turn to the Gentiles. And the, the large-scale, thorough progress of the gospel to the ends of the earth, represented by Rome at the end of the book, that begins at this point. So the churches of Galatia and Thessalonica and Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth and a hundred of uh, smaller places as well, they all begin at this point. It's big drama. Paul, he's surrounded by um, Jewish people who have welcomed him and have believed the message, but he's also being shouted down by other people, uh, contradicting him, verse 45, and heaping abuse on him. And he says, we now turn to the Gentiles. And look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. That's the drama, the the big turning point. But the shock is all in a tiny two-letter word, in verse 47. So that is where Paul, he quotes from Isaiah 49, and he says, this is what the Lord has commanded us. That's the two-letter word. That's the shock. Uh, Go and be the light of the world. And that's a shock because everywhere else in the Bible, that is somebody else's job. Um, Not Paul's job, certainly not our job, but the job of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God's son, the servant of God, the light of the world. That's what we've been um, singing and reading endlessly over Christmas. Uh, In Isaiah, this comes from one of the servant songs, a building picture of the person God is sending to save Israel. They build to Isaiah 53, where the servant will need to die as a substitute, carrying the sin and the guilt of the people. And in Isaiah 49, which is the one quoted here, that's the one where God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back Israel. It's quite something to say. It's too small a thing 
just to restore God's people, God's great project for 1,500 years since his promise to Abraham, just to restore God's, uh, the apple of God's eye and the place where God put his name and the great demonstration of his love to humanity. Too small a thing to only do that. So God will also make the servant the light to the Gentiles. And certainly, clearly, that servant is Jesus. Um, Jesus says so. He uses uh, that twice in John's Gospel when he says, I am the light of the world. Um, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he knows it's Jesus because in the book of Luke, there's the, the song of Simeon that we have read at Christmas, uh, says this about Jesus. And Paul, who is the one speaking in this verse. He knows it's about Jesus because he says so to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. But here, he takes the words and he applies them to himself and to Barnabas. This is what the Lord commanded us. As if human beings could be the servant of God from Isaiah 49. If you remember um, last week, We said that Acts is the book about what Jesus continued to do and teach after he had ascended into heaven, meaning it's about what Jesus is doing through his Holy Spirit, through people like Paul and Barnabas. Um, We need to welcome back the students who've just been on their weekend away. They've been uh, on a coach for about 10 hours, and they've just all been filtering back in. Um, Weekend away about the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what we're seeing here. Uh, Remember last week? We said all we have on the page is uh, just an instrument, Paul, uh, just a church, just a word. If you look at the ordinary human beings here, then there is nothing very special going on. Just one um, quite unimpressive man called Paul has been sent by a very ordinary church with some words to say. But uh, 13 verse 2, this is the command of the Holy Spirit to do the work that he has for them which is the work that in Acts chapter 9, Paul was given to be the chosen instrument to proclaim God's name to the Gentiles, which is the work of the servant, is being the light of the world. This is what the Lord has commanded us. So Paul's right. This is the light breaking out into Gentile territory. And it's with that purpose in mind, Paul stands up that day in their synagogue in verse 16. Uh, More specifically, what he brings them is a job offer. He says, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me, because the Messiah has sent his chosen instrument to bring light to the Gentiles, and he addresses the people of God in each place because he wants to enlist their help. Join me in this exciting opportunity, he's saying. Uh, So I've got three headings for us tonight. They're all um, structured like a job advert. Uh, We're going to start with the newly installed Jewish saviour, but he is now seeking servants to help him. So point one, uh, newly installed Jewish saviour. And this is the, the sermon that Paul preaches. It's one of the great speeches in the book of Acts. There's something like 10 of them. Uh, long chapter-length speeches and acts. They start with Peter in Acts 2, and this is the equivalent to that at the start of Paul's ministry. Every time after this you see Paul speaking, particularly if it's to Jewish people, you think he's saying something like this. And what he says is a Bible overview. 
It's a Bible overview of the middle section of the Hebrew Scriptures. He starts in Egypt with the Exodus. He runs into the Promised Land, and then from Samuel to Saul to David. That's the the first half of his sermon. And it is all about what God did. If you look down every verse from 17 to 22, it's dominated by the generosity and the power of God. He chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper. With mighty power, he led them out. He endured their conduct. He overthrew seven nations. He gave them judges. The the first thing a human being does is, verse 21, then the people asked for a king, which wasn't entirely a good idea, but then it's back to God. He gave them Saul. After removing Saul, he made David their king. And then God speaks, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And that's the first half of the sermon. It's very familiar. It's very amazing. God's powerful actions in the history of their people. But then it all turns at verse 23 when he tells them what God did next uh, or what God has done now. Verse 23, look at that. From this man's descendants, from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. There is a newly installed Jewish saviour, like David, but greater. That is the surprising job announcement. And don't miss um, the the line, as he promised. That's what connects the, the two halves of the sermon. The first half was about what God did for Israel in the past, and the second half is about what God has done now in Jesus. And the point is that every element is as he promised. Verse 26, the children of Abraham, they had the message of salvation with all of the promises waiting for the Savior, and he has been sent to us in Jerusalem. And even when the the rulers in Jerusalem killed Jesus, that was not a failure in God's plan. Look at halfway through verse 27. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, including Isaiah 53. Um, This is quite something to say in a synagogue, isn't it? Every Saturday you come here in Antioch, and every Saturday you listen to readings about Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David, and every Saturday you listen to the prophets telling you about what will happen in Jerusalem one day, and today I'm here in Antioch to tell you he has done it, all of it, every word, just as he promised. The arrest and the fake trial, as promised. His death, verse 29, when they had carried out all that was written about him, as he promised. So they they laid him in a tomb. And that is when God acted again with the same mighty power as in Egypt. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Raised from the dead, just as he promised. And um, that verse, this is the climax of the sermon. It's not the key verse in the chapter, it's the climax of the sermon. And what Paul does then is he gathers Psalm 2 and Isaiah 55 and Psalm 16 to prove that Jesus is everything that David promised. The blessings promised to David, including a never decaying body, uh, that did not come true for David. And you can test that by, you know, checking whether David is dead or not. 
he is. But now God has installed his saviour who died but who lives forever and whose body will never decay. And I've used the the heading newly installed Jewish saviour because I want to emphasise the the continuity here. Uh, He is the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for. Uh, In fact, look at verse 43. The the members of that congregation who respond well that Saturday, look at what Paul and Barnabas say to them. Uh, When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, I wouldn't want to make too much of the vocabulary alone, but do you notice how the word convert is used in that verse. The, um, the only converts in that verse are Gentiles who converted to Judaism years before. Uh, when the synagogue people respond to the message about Jesus, they are not converting. Uh, the suggestion is they are continuing. This is their Jewish saviour. And by believing in him, they are continuing in the grace of God. And the urging they need is to keep continuing now and follow Jesus. I wanted to emphasize the continuity, but I also wanted to emphasize what is new, newly installed Jewish saviour. And that is verse 32 and verse 33. Um, here is the news, what God promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. And you'd think he would go straight to Psalm 16 at that point, wouldn't you? Uh, rather than waiting until verse 35 for it. That's the one where it says David won't see decay. That's what Peter does in Acts 2. Uh, but instead, Paul quotes from Psalm 2 first. It says, Resurrection Day is promised fulfillment day, is the same day written into Psalm 2, when it says, You are my son, today I have become your father. It's saying that Easter day is coronation day for Jesus, is sonship day for Jesus as a man. It's quite a big idea to get your head around. Uh, Jesus, as the eternal second person of the Trinity, has always been the Son of God. But on Easter day, he was installed into his new role. He was crowned. It was the great privilege of David's line that those kings were called sons of God's. And they were only ever partly able to fulfill that role. But now at the resurrection, a human being has defeated death and takes his place on the throne, a human being who is fully God's son, the newly installed Jewish saviour. And all the way through these speeches and acts, we see that, um, that same kind of note of confidence. There's nothing needy about this speech, is there? There's nothing, um, they're not begging anybody to believe in Jesus. They're announcing what God has done. Here is the news. Coronation day for God's son has happened. Jesus, he is the savior we were promised. So what will you do about it? And verse 38 is the offer. It's the same offer they make to anyone of whatever background. So this is the news for anybody here uh, who will hear it. 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. And free from sin, he explains, he says, it's a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Uh, Jesus is the judge. 
who is able to declare you totally in the right. He's the king who is able to give that verdict on you as if every sinner in that room listening to Paul, uh, as if they'd only ever lived the perfect life of Jesus. And many of them that day, they, they believed it, they followed him, and they told all their neighbors. And that is where the trouble starts, which is where we need to go next. Uh, because the whole town turns up to hear the news the next Saturday. Um, but this was not just a forgiveness offer. It has been a job offer. So that uh, newly installed Jewish saviour, he is now seeking servants to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus is the one with the new job. It's the job announcement. He's the servant. Uh, but he is offering other people the role with him. Uh, it's too small a thing for Jesus to restore Israel only. His plan is to be the light of the world. In other words, to save people on every square mile on this planet. And one of the, um, the commentaries that I read draws out the sadness of what happens on the second Saturday in Antioch. Uh, on that day, the, the whole town is excited to hear about the saviour of the world. Uh, all the Gentiles pile in. I guess the synagogue was not big enough for all of them. and They're, they're squeezing in into the door. And the, the writer of the country said it, it was the, the first privilege of the synagogue in Antioch. Uh, he went first to the Jewish synagogue, and they could have been the first to bring the gospel to their Gentile na- neighbors. Uh, imagine the, the rejoicing there could have been. Uh, God's promise to Abraham and to David, a blessing to the nations through his people of Israel. And it would have started in Pisidian Antioch. I remember I said last week, I said there are two places called Antioch uh, in these chapters, a bit like there are two places in the world called Glasgow, uh, one of them very important, the other one less important. Somebody did by um, WhatsApp put me out of my misery. Last week I said Glasgow is the capital of an important country. It's, it's not, is it? Uh, as in Scotland's important, Glasgow isn't the capital. Um, but in Ant- the Antiochs, I got it right. One of them is the capital of the region, but this one... Um, this Antioch is, this is the synagogue in, in, in Nowheresville. And yet, that synagogue could have been the place, could have been the place where they welcomed the message, signed up for the job advert, and then taken up the job of being the servant of God to the nations. Uh, they could have all as one said, right, we're doing this. Uh, let's go. Let's bring the gospel to all of our town. Bring salvation. It's the job advert that Paul had answered in chapter 9. And Paul is actually, he's very, very similar to the rulers of the synagogue in Antioch. Uh, Paul, he's from Tarsus, which is just down the road. He is like them. He's shaped by Greek culture and also by Jewish culture. And he was opposed to the message of Jesus, just as they are, when he first heard it. Paul, uh, as Saul, he spent years persecuting Christians. And now the the leadership of the synagogue, they see the crowds. And in verse 45, it is something as simple and as human as jealousy that makes them reject Jesus. And in rejecting the message of Paul, they're rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God. And they're also rejecting the most exciting job offer that has ever been posted in the papers. And so Paul announces, well, I'll, um, I'll go to the Gentiles then. Uh, I have the servant work to do. 
This is what the Lord commanded us. We cannot not do it just because of your opposition. We don't need your permission. So the servants do their job. And the light shines, and the Gentiles are glad, verse 48. And those who God appointed for eternal life, they believed his message. And I suspect that is a deliberate throwback to verse 17. Uh, God chose our ancestors in Egypt. And the offer, it goes first to the Jewish people for that reason, still today. But he is able to choose additional people too, because the servant's work is not small. The servant's work is the whole earth. And in fact, verse 49, the word spread through the entire region. You cannot stop God's saviour king from being announced. You cannot stop those who he has appointed for life from believing. Not even if you do what they do. And they throw out Paul and Barnabas. Verse 50, verse 51, uh, they're gone. They have to go to Iconium. That's where we'll see them next week. But verse 52 what do they leave behind? They leave behind them a church, just a church, uh, not very old, a week old, five days old, four days old, full of Jewish and Gentile believers. And they are filled, it says, with joy and the Holy Spirit. Uh, filled with joy even after this opposition. Yes, because they have forgiveness, they have the Savior King, and they have the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And they have said yes to the job adverts. And so uh, maybe there's just 10 of them, I don't know, maybe there's 100 uh, left behind in Antioch. And they are the servants of God, as promised in Isaiah 49. And so the word continues to spread in the power of the Holy Spirit, who's been driving all of this since chapter 2. Which um, only leaves the, the question, doesn't it, in every job advert? Uh, are you in? And it, it's worth looking at the reasons why people are not in uh, through this chapter. So in verse 18, it is the, the desert generation. Uh, in Exodus, they were rescued. They were on their way to the promised land to demonstrate the glory and the name of God to the nations, it's not that different. And yet, verse 18, for 40 years, he endured their conduct. Uh, it took them 40 years to do a, uh, I can't remember, it should have been a couple of months journey. It's because they complained and they grumbled and they asked, can we not go back to Egypt? And they refused to obey him and they worshipped a golden calf. And the, the, the picture of it, it's worth reading back in Exodus. There's a great English phrase, the, the flesh pots of Egypt. It comes from Exodus 16. I think I always thought as a child it was something sexual. I thought, can't believe that's in the Bible. But it literally, it's about food. It's just about food. They're in the desert and they're moaning because they're hungry. They say, um, wasn't it better when we were slaves? Didn't we always have loads to eat? Wasn't it a lovely life then? Answer, No. It wasn't. Um, and that attitude, it does not work for the servants of God. That is a refusal to carry the message because there will be hardship, there'll be opposition, as there was the day the church in Antioch was born. Uh, next in the list is Saul, verse 21. They asked for a king, and um, Paul's sermon just briefly reminds them of the difference between him and David. Because David was the one, verse 22, who did everything God wanted him to. Whereas um, Saul, he was a bit more, um, a bit more flexible. 
he was there to make the people feel just like every other nation. Uh, you cannot be the servant and bring light to the nations if actually you want to be just like them. Because the nations, they need to leave their idols and their ways and come and submit to the new King Jesus. And then the, the last one is Jerusalem, verse 27, who were told did not recognize Jesus. Despite what he did, what he said among them, despite the witnesses who saw him alive again after they had killed him. And that's why um, Paul ends his sermon with a warning. Verse 40, verse 41, comes from the prophet Habakkuk. Um, don't scoff at the new thing. Take care. Because our God, he does do new things. In their case, God, uh, Habakkuk's case, God did bring the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem which is a stark warning for them. So the question then comes to us, are we in? Are you in? Uh, Many people who heard that sermon in Antioch, they were not. uh, Or they thought about it during the week and they said no. Perhaps for one of those similar reasons we've just looked at. They want to fit in. uh, They don't want their life to get worse. They don't recognize, don't believe in Jesus. But many of them were. Many of them said yes, and the work of the servant went on. And we're here in Partnership Month to see that the servant is still active. Uh, The things that Jesus did and said and taught, they're still going on. He hasn't stopped the task that was given to him. Jesus is not small. The ends of the earth is his goal. And the job advert, uh, the um, the closing date bit on the that's the crucial bit on the job of it, isn't it? Uh, the closing date has not yet passed. Uh, is all souls interested in applying? Partnership isn't just saying that we belong to each other. It's not just saying we love being here and we love each other. Uh, we're not just a church because no church is just a church. We are a partnership of God's chosen servants with a message of salvation to take to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to pray. We would be joyful, we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we would carry this message. Our Father, thank you for your work in bringing the gospel, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Thank you that you chose Paul and Barnabas, and how even today you have not stopped choosing servants. And that you send them into ordinary uh, workplaces, you send them into ordinary lecture halls, uh, onto tubes and buses, and uh, everywhere that we go with the message of salvation for the ends of the earth. We pray, our Father, give us joy and give us your Holy Spirit that we would proclaim your Son everywhere we go. Amen.